So we're in the middle of a series entitled The First Christmas. We're going back to the text to see what that first Christmas was really all about. This morning I'd like to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll start at the 8th verse. And this is what Luke writes there. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Time magazine notes that Katie Larson is perhaps a little too young to get it, to fully understand. Her dad, Brian, had just slipped on a blue and white striped shepherd's smock over her head. Look at you, he says. You're perfect. But Katie, too, isn't so sure. Two years ago, she had been the baby Jesus. At that age, she didn't stress about her costume. But now... She begins to cry. Do you want to hold the cute little baby sheep? Brian asks, waving a stuffed toy before his daughter's beet red face. Still no sale. Katie's brother Tyler, six, is more at ease with all of this. He obligingly pulls on the robe, the cord belt, and the headdress worn by the dozens of predecessor shepherds over the years at First Presbyterian Church in Arlington, Illinois. Now, what do shepherds do, asks the pageant director, Phyllis Green. They protect the sheep, he says promptly. His older brother, Drew, who is eight, has two more years of experience under his shepherd's belt. He chimes in, and then the angels come. As if on cue from a Sunday school class upstairs wafts the sound of 70 angelic young voices rendering a shaky but clearly heartfelt version of Away in the Manger. The program must go on. Across the United States, similar scenes unfold as small children's progress from incomprehension to playtime participation to the beginnings of actual Christmas understanding, thanks to children's Christmas programs, which range 
from modest cardboard camel presentations to near professional presentations with thousands in attendance. No performance. Not even those working from prefabricated scripts and scores provided by Christian entertainment companies will be exactly like another. Mostly because no two six-year-old shepherds are the same. But none, none will be precisely like the New Testament gospel account. The fact that raises concern for almost no one. Marilyn and I attended a live nativity some time ago that continued to provoke a false narrative. And no one seemed to really care. Thankfully, the most important part usually comes through rather clearly that God came to earth in the form of a child, of a baby, to show just how much he loved us. And yet, at some point, it seems to me that getting the details right is an admirable goal because then it deepens our understanding and our relationship with God. So as we look at these details, we are once again going to test your Christmas knowledge. This time about the first visitors who came to see Jesus. Last week I noted to you that no one had complained to me about those quizzes. But after last week, I can't say that anymore. So here we go. We'll try again. First, an angel appeared to shepherds in the town of Bethlehem to announce the birth of Jesus. True or false? Gabriel, God's announcing angel, said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. True or false? Three, being a shepherd in Israel, the first job of King David, was an occupation held in high esteem throughout Judah. True or false? Four, shepherds were often in their early teens. True or false? Five, both boys and girls were likely shepherds tending sheep out in the field. True or false? Bears, wolves, lions, and leopards roamed the wilderness regions of Judea where shepherds tended their flocks. True or false? Seven, shepherds were guided by the star to the place where Jesus lay. True or false? Eight, a choir of angels sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. True or false? Nine, before returning to their sheep, the shepherds told other people about the birth of Jesus. True or false? And 10, the primary reason Bethlehem became a center for raising sheep was because of the abundance of green grasses and foliage nearby. True or false? So let's look at some of these questions and some of the answers that go with them. There was something very public about births in the ancient world. There were no private birthing rooms where only father and mother and the doctor were allowed. There was no looking through a nursery window 
wondering which baby was yours. There was no breathing on a child through sterile antiseptic masks. In Jesus' day, the birth of a baby was not only a family event to celebrate, no, it was a community event, especially in small towns like Nazareth and Bethlehem. The family would gather together for the birthing. The birth initiated a time of feasting between relatives and friends and even local neighbors, all of whom would crowd in to see and to hold and to breathe on the newborn baby. Since Mary and Joseph were far from home, having lived in Nazareth, but now in Bethlehem because of special circumstances, the activities could have been slightly different, but the truth is the birth still would have been celebrated in Bethlehem. It was that kind of a significant and important event. And while the only guests specifically mentioned in Scripture who came to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ were shepherds, And a bit later, some wise men, I think we can safely assume that there would have been others that would have celebrated along with the family as well. You see, shepherding was not only one of the oldest vocations of the ancient Hebrews. It was almost one of the most prominent professions in the little town of Bethlehem. But shepherds, along with tax collectors, were at the bottom of the social ladder on the opposite end, if you will, of the economic and status continuum from wise men. Shepherds earned little income from their work. Their work was viewed as requiring little skill and minimum training, even though it could be highly dangerous. Their responsibilities demanded long, arduous hours. Shepherds frequently infuriated the rabbis by the way they lived out their life. I mean, they were considered spiritually unclean. They dressed improperly. Their hands were soiled with dirt and blood and manure, and they violated all the dietary laws. It's very hard to cook and eat kosher out in the wilderness. And they often trespassed on others' land. They didn't keep the holy days. Their Sabbath, their holy days, their feast days, they were all the same when they were, if you will, out in the fields. Sheep, you see, needed attendance all day, every day, wherever they were. And while shepherds, and even their sheep, were welcome in the outer temple, shepherds were not allowed into the inner court to worship. Shepherds were not allowed to testify in court. Their word wasn't considered trustworthy. They were considered stereotyped to be thieves stealing anything and everything that wasn't specifically nailed down. On the other hand, a good shepherd took care of the sheep that he or she was assigned, or they wouldn't be a shepherd for very long. You see, the shepherd and the sheep spent day and night together, so they would know each other pretty well. And sheep came to the point where they would only recognize and follow the voice of their shepherd, and they would ignore the nor the voice of other shepherds or strangers. A simple call from their shepherd, and the entire flock would follow wherever the shepherd would go. It was a lesson, a visual picture, if you will, a reminder to the people of Israel who their God was. The shepherd was responsible for the full care of their sheep. Adult Bedouins usually 
designated the specific hands-on care of their flocks to young, often preteen or early teen boys and girls. These herdsmen were expected to protect their sheep from bears and wolves and lions and leopards that indeed roamed in the Gev wilderness, as well as from would-be robbers and thieves. And they did that by skillful use of their staff and their sling, as well as many of them had a metal-studded club about a yard long that they would wield. The shepherd had to go out and scout for adequate food and water to find green pastures and quiet waters for their sheep to eat and to drink. And then they would have to lead their sheep to them. Shepherds were also responsible for the shearing of their wool and the aiding in lambing. At night, the shepherd would usually bring the sheep into a fold Sometimes underneath or aside a house, sometimes into a nearby pen, often into an enclosure or even a cave outside of the village. Sheep tend to wander the most at night in the darkness. The shepherd would then lie across the opening, the gate of the fold, acting as a gate to protect the sheep from an intruder, but also to protect the sheep from the sheep who might want to wander away. This is the image that Jesus is portraying as he describes himself as the gate, as the door to the sheepfold in John 10. The Bible is full of references to sheep and to shepherds. The patriarchs, Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Isaac, Jacob, as well as Moses, the great lawgiver, and David, the king who would establish Israel's national identity. They were all shepherds originally. In the Old Testament, God is acknowledged as shepherd, Psalm 23. In the New Testament, Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd, John 10. Early church leaders were called pastors or shepherds. The terms pastor and bishop are both derived from ancient words that deal with shepherd and overseer or guardian. In fact, the bishop's staff is a shepherd's crook. These shepherd images help the Israelites to understand their relationship to God and their full and complete dependence on him for their hunger and for their thirst and for their protection. The angelic announcement has a fascinating context. The announcement of the birth of Christ the Lord as good news of great joy stands in vivid contrast to the annual announcement of Caesar is Lord's birthday as the good news, as the Eugelion, as the evangelistic news, the, the best news we could hear for the world. So the Roman Empire considered it great news to remind the people of their, of their king's ascendancy to the throne and his reign over the whole known world. And so the annual announcement would go out something like this. Caesar, Augustus, son of God, Lord, savior of the world, and the one who has brought peace on earth. Now here are the angels in the shadow of the Herodian proclaiming, here is news of really great joy. Joy for everyone. 
Not just in Caesar's town, but joy in David's town as well. The real king's birth date is here and it is now. The king of kings has arrived. And with him, a new kingdom bringing real peace, not just Roman peace or Pax Romana. The announcing angel is then joined by others who come to praise God. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now initially, the shepherds, as you can well imagine, would have been absolutely frightened by the appearance of an angel and then angels. But then they were invited to go and visit this this Messiah, this child. And I'm guessing that their next thought was likely something like, you know, if this child is truly Messiah, his parents will surely turn us away if we go and try to visit. There's a slim to none chance that we'll be welcome and embraced, but the angel did say go, right? The angels. Actually, the one who wrote the script for the angel's announcement anticipated, in my estimation, that kind of anxiety. And so the angel specifically told them that they would Find the baby wrapped in claws. They would find the baby wrapped in claws. Only peasants. Only parents of the economic status of the shepherds would wrap their baby in claws. They were told the baby would be lying in a manger. <laughs> that is, this baby was not born in a, in a governor's mansion. This baby was not occupying some wealthy merchant's guest room. This child was not out of reach. They would find this baby in a simple peasant home like their own. This was, this was good news. This was really good news. This was a sign for lowly shepherds that this child was for them. This child could be their savior. With this special arrangement, the shepherds hurry. They hurry to Bethlehem to find the child in spite of their low degree. We don't know if anyone stayed behind to watch the sheep while they went to go see the Christ child. But this, this was the invitation of a lifetime. Taking the sheep along would have only slowed them down significantly, and it also would not have been greatly appreciated by the people in the town of Bethlehem. But like the sheep accepted their word, these shepherds accepted the word of the angel, and they were obedient, and they followed. They were quick to obey. They headed to Bethlehem. They left everything behind to find and seek Jesus. That's faith. And that's what Luke wants us to catch a glimpse of. So they left their visit, praising God for all that they had seen and heard. The word all, in my estimation, obviously includes the quality of the hospitality that they had witnessed upon their arrival. Clearly, they find Mary and Joseph and the baby in perfectly adequate accommodations, not in a dirty, messed up stable. 
If they had found a frightened young mother and a desperate father, Joseph, in a dirty, smelly stable, they would have said, this is outrageous. This is unnecessary. Come home with us. Our family will take care of you. The family would have been moved in a mere matter of minutes. The honor of their village and their reputation would have depended on it. The fact that they walked out without moving the family and walked out praising God means that the shepherds realized that they couldn't offer this baby-blessed couple with any better hospitality than than the one they were already receiving. It is no coincidence that the perfect lamb who was to be sacrificed for the sins of the world would have as his first visitors shepherds. Shepherds can tell a perfect lamb when they see it. They can tell better than anyone else. After, afterwards, Luke says, they spread the word. They evangelized concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds were saying. So let's go back to those questions. An angel appeared to announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds in the town of Bethlehem. Okay, that's a trick question. They were not in Bethlehem. They were out in the fields. Gabriel, God's announcing angel, said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. That's false. We don't know if it's Gabriel or not. It's an unnamed angel. Three. Being a shepherd in Israel, the first job of King David was an occupation held in high esteem. That is false as well. Shepherds were usually in their early teens. That would be true, sometimes even younger. Both boys and girls were shepherds. That too is true. Bears, wolves, lions, and leopards roam in the wilderness region where shepherds tended their flocks. That's likely very true because they still do to this day. Shepherds were guided by the star to the place where Jesus lay. Now, this is my Christmas gift to you. This is a gimme, okay? It's false. The shepherds were not guided by the star. That's another group of people we'll talk about later. Eight, a choir of angels sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is false. There was no singing. They said it, didn't sing it. Nine, before returning to their sheep, the shepherds told other people about Jesus. True. The primary reason Bethlehem became a center for raising sheep was because of the abundance of green grasses and foliage nearby. That's false. The reason it became a place for raising sheep was its close proximity to the temple in Jerusalem where they slaughtered lambs. So what does this mean? First thing it means is that Jesus' incarnation is now complete. Jesus is in the flesh. At his birth, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are welcomed into a peasant's home. These people did their very best to enfold him, and it was enough. At his birth, common people sheltered him. Even the wise men came to the house. As Jesus grew, even as an adult, the common people came to him gladly. Eagerly, regularly. Second, don't miss that the shepherds were invited. They were welcomed. They were encouraged to come and see Jesus. 
In fact, scripture notes they are the first visitors. The unclean were judged to be clean. The outcasts became honored guests. That's what Jesus does. The words of angels were proclaimed to ordinary people like you and me. On Easter, we often greet one another with this phrase, he is risen, and the response is, he is risen indeed. I wonder what would happen if Christians around the world would turn Merry Christmas, which is much better, by the way, than Merry Holidays, into something like this, the greeting. Our Savior is born, and the response, he was laid in a manger. That's the gospel. He's here with us, among us, like us, in all facets. Third, I've always envisioned, as I hear the stories of green pastures, that the shepherds were actually driving their sheep into lush green fields. And I'll be the first to admit, I have long got that really messed up. You see, good shepherds, first of all, in Israel, don't drive their sheep. They lead them. And often they lead them along narrow paths and over rocky hills. One thing I've noticed about Israel is it's mostly rocks. The shepherd always goes before the rocks, before the sheep. Always says, this is the way. I'll walk it. You follow me. The green pastures are actually sparse turfs of grass here and there springing up because it's mostly, mostly a rocky landscape. You have to work for these green pastures, for these green tufts of grass. You have to walk distances over lots of rocks and crevices and stony paths. Sheep depend on their shepherd to find the next little batch of grass for grazing. At this time of the year, after the harvest, they were cleaning up in the fields. When you and I understand the shepherd, when we understand the land, when we understand the culture, the words of scripture become a little bit clearer. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is how you live. I go, you follow me. Sheep follow. Sheep don't lead. Nor do sheep just stay put. They go. They're active. We, like sheep, are to follow the shepherd. We're to follow the example he sets. We're to walk in the paths he selects. No matter how difficult, no matter how narrow, no matter how treacherous the path, Jesus reminds us, I have walked it first. I have gone before you. I, the rabbi, go first. You, my disciples, you follow. Picturing God's green pastures as rich Michigan turf farms where everything is, is available in, in abundance really taints and distorts the biblical picture. You see, acres of lush grass would seem to imply that life is to be comfortable and easy and luxurious. But the truth is, that is seldom our life's experience. Life is hard. No one knows what we'll be dealing with 
even over the next few days, let alone over the next few moments. Any more than sheep know where the grass is that they're going to eat tomorrow or even later today. One phone call can change everything. All that we have is what is sufficient for this moment. And what we have is sufficient if we trust the shepherd. It is imperative to keep our eyes on him because grazing in the green pastures and drinking by quiet waters require that we go where the shepherd leads. And we listen to what he says because the truth is, without him, we die. We need to learn to live in each moment trusting and depending on God for what lies ahead. The Christian life is a moment-by-moment -moment process of seeking, of trusting, of staying close to the Lord and receiving his provision and his presence. Like sheep, we find it difficult to distinguish a dangerous cliff from a safe path or deadly floodwaters from a quiet pool. We have messed up, or as the prophet Isaiah says, we have all like sheep gone astray. We have, we have each turned to our own way. We are, by nature, emotionally and spiritually hungry and thirsty people. We long to be significant. We long to be fulfilled. We long to be purposeful. All God-given desires. But left on our own, when our eyes are not on our shepherd, we tend to wander down the wrong paths. So as the sun set in the Judean hills, with the confusing tangle of trials, cliffs, and dry riverbeds, it often became very difficult to follow the shepherd and increasingly probable to do a misstep, to fall or to wander away. When those moments arrive, and they always do, when we perhaps lose a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or even a child, when we face pain, suffering, disease, when our dreams seem to be destroyed or evaporate, when we fear the unknown, when we're going through a difficult day, especially when that day is the fifth or sixth or 60th or 70th in a row, we need the leading and the comfort and the protection of a really good shepherd. Only in keeping our eyes on the shepherd will we receive his comfort, the soothing sound of his voice, and the protection of his presence, and the assurance of the peace that the angels promised to the shepherds on the hills outside the city of Bethlehem. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Lord, you are with me. So Jesus, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the lamb born among the temple flocks in Bethlehem, visited by shepherds, is now our strong and faithful shepherd. God chose to announce his son, our Savior's birth, to lowly shepherds. Maybe because they understood the importance of the shepherd's voice. Maybe because they would know what a perfect lamb was. 
Maybe because they would recognize a good shepherd when they saw one. So the question is, are we willing to follow his voice wherever he goes? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for coming. For coming as a child, for coming as a lamb. For coming into Bethlehem. For inviting ordinary people like us to come and see. And now, Father, like like shepherds, the shepherds, may we too not only come and see, but may we now go and tell. Father, thank you for who you are and for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.